Uh, and I love the book of Proverbs because it's a pretty simple book. Now, it's full of wisdom, and there's a lot of things in there that we read, and we think, okay, I think I understand that, but then we read it again, and we think, wow, that's really simple, but yet it's very profound and practical. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want us to unpack one of the most simple verses in Scripture, and it's found in Proverbs, but I think if we really allow it to sink into who we are, it could be a, a profound truth that we could live out for our days to come. Um, and when he said it was this aha uh, series title, I got excited because, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but there's, there's things in life that when you just kind of walk through life, uh, there's those aha moments. It's those things that you're like, ah, it kind of finally clicks, right? And, and I'm finding that as I get older, I'm having more of these aha moments. Uh, and it seems like as I've gotten past the age of 40, they happen more frequently. I don't know if it's because I've forgotten a lot of stuff or earlier in life, but it just seems like I have more and more of these aha moments in life where it just almost kind of clicks. You're thinking, oh, okay, that's, I should have known that probably about 10 years ago, but now I finally understand it, right? And uh, so one of the aha moments that I had happened about 10 years ago in which I really thought I was still young and vibrant and healthy, and I took a high school mission trip. I used to be a youth pastor in Texas, and the Texas heat is one thing, right? And uh, we went there on the 4th of July, went back and saw my parents, and it's hot, and it's hot here in Georgia. But I took a group of high school students to Las Vegas, Nevada. And if you've ever been to Las Vegas, Las Vegas is an incredible city, but we took these group of high school students uh, on a mission trip to Las Vegas. And uh, we did an incredible thing out there. We, uh, we helped a church get planted and tell the community all about the, the love of Jesus that is really known, the city of Las Vegas, known for being a broken city, a city of sin, you know, a lot of those things we see on the advertisements. But city of, uh, Las Vegas is a, is a really cool city. It's a really family-friendly city. And uh, one particular afternoon, uh, I had my high school guys in particular, we were surveying the area, and we came across a park, and we decided that we wanted to play some pickup basketball. And so we had a basketball with us, and we'd been out canvassing the area really all morning. We hadn't really taken a break, and if you've ever been out in the heat and you've not taken a break, you kind of start to understand that your body uh, may be a little bit fatigued. Well, I didn't understand that quite often, you know, quite honestly, uh, when it came to the Las Vegas heat. So we just get out there, we start playing basketball at this local park, and all of a sudden, what we found is I had a group of high school guys and myself, we were playing basketball, just shooting around, having some fun, and then all of a sudden, we saw that this other group of locals were over here on this other court, and they were trying to get a game together. And they said, hey, come on over here. We're going to divide up teams, and we're going to play a game of pickup basketball. And at the time, I was about 30 years old, and I had all these high school students with me, so I wanted to impress these guys and show them that I could still play, right? And so we're like, yeah, let's show, you know, it sounds like a plan for us, and you know how it all plays out. Everybody gets up on the free throw line, and the first few that make the shot gets put on a team. Well, I have all these high school guys with me, and it kind of comes time for me to take my shot to see if I'm selected onto one of the teams. And by the grace of God, it goes in, and I get selected on one of the teams. Now, what's funny is none of the other high school guys that were with me made their shots, and so it was just me. It was just me, the, the youth pastor, the local youth pastor from Texas, out there in Las Vegas playing with all these local, local park um, players in Las Vegas. Now, you can kind of see where this is headed, right? So I get out there, and I'm playing basketball with these guys, and all of a sudden, I start to kind of feel like, okay, I'm pretty tired. This morning's kind of been wearing on me a little bit. The heat's coming down. 
and all my high school buddies are on the sideline and they're watching me. This is my time to shine. This is my time to show them that I'm not old, that I'm not past my prime, that this is my time to shine with these high school guys, right? And so, and I'm not making this up. I can tell you this is true as I'm standing here. The first play of the game, um, they found out that I was a youth pastor. And so they called me Rev, okay? Reverend, right? So uh, I'm out there with all these other guys in Las Vegas. And one of the guys, he inbounds the ball to me uh, to start the game. Well, I take the ball and I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta set the tone early that I can hang with these guys, right? And so by the time I catch the ball and I begin to kind of dribble down the court, all of a sudden, it was almost like a, a ton of bricks hit me all at one time about how my body was fatigued. The heat of Las Vegas had caught up to me and the adrenaline was just kind of just full force on me. And so I begin to dribble down the court and I just tell you, um, <laughs> I just blacked out. Okay, I don't know if you've ever been in the heat and you just kind of the fatigue hits you. I'm dribbling down the court and I black out and my buddies are all on the sideline, these high school guys, all these strangers that I'm playing with. They're thinking, okay, this guy's a, you know, somewhat legit. He can play basketball a little bit. I take about three dribbles and I black out and I just go like this. And I just hit the concrete. Okay, and, and I'm out. And my buddies are laughing at me. They're not running to my aid. They're not coming out there to try to pick me up and say, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? They're laughing at me over here on the sidelines. All these other local guys are picking me up saying, hey, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I think I'm good. I just need a drink of water. And, and I proceed to play, all right? Because at this point, I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to let my pride knock me out of this game. So I got to continue on. Well, the next time I get the ball, I'm like, all right, no matter where I am, I'm shooting, okay? Uh, because I got to let these guys know that I'm okay, right? And I catch the ball, and I just shoot it, and luckily it goes in. But from that point on, I was in a lot of pain. And to make a long story short, the whole next day, I spent time in the ER because I was getting my shoulder x-rayed, um, and luckily I didn't break anything. It was just a deep bruise. But it was one of those aha moments for me that I was realizing at the age of 30 that I'm no longer a high school student, and I can't keep up with these high school students anymore. And it was a very embarrassing moment for me, but it was one of those aha moments. It's like, okay, don't press it any longer thinking that you can hang with these young guys. And so my prayer this morning as we jump into Scripture is that you would have some of these aha moments. And I want to encourage you to grab a pen that's right there at the seat back in front of you and grab your sermon notes. And I want you to write down a few things because, like I said, this morning the message is going to be very practical. But my prayer is that you would walk away from here with a few aha moments, these moments that you can kind of jot down and say, okay, wow, that's, that, that's going to be a game changer for me. And it's going to be real simple, but it's going to be real practical because I think God is going to speak to us in a way that is going to be one of those aha moments for many of us. And the thing that we're going to unpack this morning is something that every single one of us in this room deals with on a daily basis, and it's the issue of the heart. It's the issue of the heart. And I remember growing up in school, I learned a lot about the heart. The heart is an incredible organ. It's an incredible muscle. And I did some research just to kind of prepare for this morning. And every minute, your heart pumps five quarts of blood through a system of blood vessels that are over 60,000 miles long. Okay? If you don't believe in God, you can just kind of look at the human body and see how we're made up and how we're wired. And man, it's just an unbelievable thing. And that is a creator God who has created us. And that translates into over 2,000 gallons of blood every single day. Your heart beats on average about 100,000 times a day. So obviously the heart is a complex organ. And obviously it's a healthy functioning 
is essential to life. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a scripture that is going to help us unpack not just the physical heart, but the spiritual heart that we have within us. So if you got your Bibles, uh, if you don't, this is going to be up on the screen for you as well. But it's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else. Now let me just kind of pause right here. Anytime you see something in Scripture where it says above all else or remember this or take note of this, I want you to underline it, circle it, whatever you might need to do in your Bible because what God is trying to do is trying to get your attention. And see, what he's saying is above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now another translation The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, this is a pretty simple verse, but it's a profound verse, because if we really understand the importance of this, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. And I love the word picture here that the author gives us, is that everything you do flows from your heart. And what he's basically saying is the heart, your heart, is really the center of who you are, the essence of who you are. The, the, the moral uh, makeup of who you are, your thoughts, your, everything about you is really about your heart. And everything you do flows from your heart. And I love the word picture because it really kind of gives us this idea. And if you just really backtrack a little bit here, it says to, to above all else, guard it. And what the author is saying, what God is telling us this morning is your heart is so essential. And everything you do, everything flows from your heart. So if that's that important to us, then we need to protect it. And we need to guard it. And we need to do that every single day. Well, if it's that important that we guard it, that we protect it, that we fight against the things that might want to corrupt our hearts, the, the, the natural question for us is, well, how do you do that? And I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. As I began to kind of prepare this over the last few weeks here, uh, God has really began to kind of do a work on my heart. And and, and as I speak with you this morning, uh, God has really been kind of pointing his finger at different areas of my heart saying, that's what I want. That's what I want to work on. That's what I want to tweak. That's what I want to renew. That's what I want to to do a work in you, but it's it's a heart issue. So it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Well, for the remaining time that we have together, I just want to break down four different steps. And this is why I want you to grab your pen and I want you to grab a sheet of paper. And they're real simple. They're real practical. But they're four easy steps in which I think in my own life, what I've seen are four keys to protecting and guarding your heart. Because we live in a world in which it is corrupt. You don't have to look far to see that. You turn on the news, you watch movies, you listen to music. There's a lot of different things out there that are attacking us and attacking our heart. Because in this verse, we see it, everything flows from your heart. So if you have an unhealthy heart, the number one killer of men and women is heart disease. Well, I also believe that in spirituality, when we're talking about our relationship with God, if our heart is not healthy... It will destroy you. It will destroy you from the inside out. And so over the next few minutes here, I want us to break down four different steps in which are easy, practical ways in which we can guard our heart. The first one 
is really something that you may not hear a lot in church. It's a, it's a word you don't hear a lot in church. It's actually a word that you hear a lot maybe on mainstream media nowadays. And it's a word that you don't really hear a lot about in church because it really doesn't have a lot to do with what most people think is being leading to healthy relationships. But the word that I want us to use this morning as we start off, and it really kind of becomes the essence of where we need to really start the conversation of how we protect our heart, is hate. And the first step in, a, in order for us to guard our heart and to protect our heart is that we need to hate sin. We need to hate sin. We need to see sin the way that God sees sin. And I think a lot of times in, in my own life, I don't. I, I know that sin is a bad thing. I know that it's something that I need to try to avoid. I need to try to do the right things. But at the end of the day, I don't have a hatred for sin. And, and that's a heart issue, right? Have you ever hated something? I mean, I'm talking like really, really hated something. Now, okay, don't, don't, look, don't look to your neighbor, okay? Don't, don't look at a family member. You might be in a little bit of a tiff there. Don't worry about that, okay? We're going to talk about some of that maybe in just a little bit. But have you ever really just hated something? Something so much that you just, you had to do something about it, okay? That's kind of the hate that God wants us to have toward sin. And one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Revelation. And what you have here is you have a, a series of letters in the first part of Revelation in which God is, 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 is communicating to his people. And, and in this particular passage that I want to unpack in just a second here, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, what, what God is basically saying to the city, okay, he's, written, he's writing this letter to the city, uh, these people, is that sin gets to a place where it begins to corrupt us. And we begin to compromise, and we begin to get complacent. And when that happens, it gets into our heart. And when God sees that, it makes him sick because he hates sin. Habakkuk says that God is so much against sin. He hates sin so much that he can't look upon it. And I think a lot of times we go through our day and we think, well, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. When really God looks at sin at all areas and he hates it and it makes him sick to the point where it says that he wants to vomit. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. It says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now if you stop right there, you know, I used to read this verse thinking, okay, well, you know, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Basically, I, I used to think about this and say, well, if you're really hot, that means you're really excited and you're really on fire for God. And if you're cold, that means you're worthless. You're not really worth a whole lot to God and his kingdom and things like that. That's really not what he's saying. If you go on and read, it says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And to kind of give you a little bit of a, a background of this particular letter, this letter was written to the city of Laodicea. And the idea here is that this particular city wasn't known for anything well, nothing good. But one of the things that they had to do in this particular city is that they had to pipe in water. They didn't have a very good water source. So they had to pipe in their water from two neighboring cities. In one neighboring city, they piped in the hot water. And if you've ever sat in a hot tub at the end of a long day, you know that hot water can be somewhat 
can be somewhat healing, right? The healing waters of hot water and things like that. And then the other neighboring city was known for piping in the cold water, the refreshing water. You know, after a long, hard day of mowing the yard and doing things outside and you drink that hot, you know, that really ice cold water, it's refreshing, right? Well, what the Bible verse is telling us here and what God is basically saying is you're worthless because you're neither hot nor cold and when you're lukewarm, God kind of paints this picture for us. He portrays this image for us that you're useless. And it makes me sick. Makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. And the verb used there in Scripture is real similar to vomit. And I think when God sees sin in our lives, he looks at us as when you get caught up in sin, you become useless. And he hates it. So, unfortunately, many times I go about life and I know that I shouldn't do certain things, but I don't hate it. You know, I work for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I work with a lot of coaches and athletes on a daily basis. And one of the things I've noticed is I've worked with a lot of coaches who absolutely love to win. They love winning. As a matter of fact, if you've ever competed in anything, uh, even at a game of checkers against your brother or sister or mom or dad, you probably have some competitive juices, juices, and you want to win. And I've worked with a lot of coaches who love to win. But one of the things I've noticed as I've worked with coaches and athletes over the years through FCA is that it's one thing for you to love to win, but when you get to a place, when a coach gets to a place or a player gets to a place where they hate to lose, it's a game changer because it motivates them differently. It drives them differently. Winning is one thing, but when you get to a place where you hate something, it drives lasting change. One of my favorite movies is Moneyball. It's a baseball movie. If you've never seen it, I'd encourage you to go back back and watch it. Uh, I'm a big baseball guy, but there's a quote in this movie. Billy Bean is the actual general manager of the Oakland A's, and they're doing things differently. They're trying to put together a winning squad in a very unique way that had never been done before, all about stats and different things like that. And he's talking to one of his key players. He's talking to a few of his key players, as a matter of fact. And he's talking to them as the general manager, and he says this, and I wrote it down because it's such a powerful quote. He says, I hate losing more than I even want to win. If we get to a place in our life where we really begin to hate something, it drives us to change it. It drives us to change it. My grandfather, who's now passed away, I love the man dearly. He taught me a lot about life. He hated, hated cucumbers. Hated them. I don't know why. There must have been something that happened in his life back years ago. But he hated them. He hated the look of them. He hated the smell of them. He hated the taste of them. He hated everything about cucumbers. As a matter of fact, I was, have, I was having dinner with him one time before he passed away, and, and, they, and, and he tells the, the waiters, he used to tell the waiters all the time, I hate cucumbers. Don't bring me any cucumbers, okay? Um, and I remember one particular time we're having dinner, and sure enough, the waitress brings out, and there was a cucumber on the side of his plate, okay? It really wasn't touching much. It was like on the side of a salad. And my grandfather, I love the man to death with all my heart, uh, but he was a strong-willed man, all right, stubborn guy. Loved him to death, but that was just one of his traits. He refused to even touch any of the other part of the meal. He sent it back to the kitchen. He's like, I, I can't do it because he hated cucumbers that much. Now, when you hate something, you do everything you know how to do to avoid it or to change it. 
absolutely send it back. I can't deal with it. It makes me sick. Do away with it. All right? So I get that about it. The other thing about life, and just kind of follow me with on this a little bit, is that I love Twinkies. Okay? Can I get an amen? Okay, we're talking truth this morning right now, right? So I love Twinkies. Now, I, I love Twinkies, but I hate what they do to me. Okay? I, I hate what they, what they leave me looking like, right? So, it, so when, it, when we're talking about sin, I think this battle that goes on within our hearts is that we know that we shouldn't do certain things, but yet we're drawn to it because it says in the Bible that sin is pleasurable for a season, but we got to begin to understand that we got to hate sin the way that God hates sin. And we got to put it to, to death. And so even though we, we might like the temporary fulfillment of some of the sin, we know that it doesn't leave us in a healthier state of mind. But in all seriousness, we must put our sin to death and we must hate it. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. It says, I've discovered this principle in life. And I think we all can relate to this next part of the verse. It says that when I want to do what is right and I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Basically, the author is saying, man, I hate this. I hate being stuck in this rut. I hate being this stuck in this rut because I know the things that I want to do, but I can't do them. And the things that I don't, that I shouldn't do, I, I, you know, this, this whole you know, deadly cycle, and he hates it. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then verse 25, underline it, circle it. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we begin to understand the idea of protecting and guarding our heart, it begins with having a hatred towards sin. Seeing sin, seeing the things that breaks God's heart and having a hatred toward that, just like God hates it in our lives as well. The second step. Like I said, a real practical step-by-step way to, to guard and protect our hearts. And we kind of alluded to it in this verse of Romans chapter 7, is think differently. Step two is think differently. The reason I say think differently is because the world is constantly bombarding us with ways to think and ways to fill our minds. Movies, music websites, language that we use around our kids, the things that they hear us say, all of these different things. If you remember, it is the source of life, the heart. we got to guard it. we got to protect it because of where everything else flows. So we got to pay attention with what we're filling our minds with. I've got two young boys, uh, one who's 13 and one who's 10. And what I've learned over the years of raising these two young men is that they are sponges. They will remember Everything that I say, everything that I do, which is a pretty humbling uh, thought, a pretty intimidating thought as well. That's why I need God's grace every single day in my life. But what this idea here is, is that we got to think differently than the world might have us think. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 2. It says, do not conform any to the, any, says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
You've probably heard this verse before. I want you to jot it down. It's Romans 12, 2. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The world in which we live in is broken. It's unhealthy. The things that this world wants to fill our minds with and bombard our hearts with are things that God doesn't want us to fill our hearts and our minds with. So we've got to think differently. And how do we do that? Well, it's found in Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. Listen to what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say, again, I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, there's that word again, guard your heart, in your mind, in Christ Jesus. And it goes on, and these are going to be on the, uh, the, the screens for you. It goes on to tell us what we should be filling our minds with. It goes on to tell us what we should be filling our hearts with. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. He runs through all the different things. Think about such things. If you ever wonder what you should be filling your mind with, that's it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Because we are in a battle. We're in a war. And there's an enemy that is prowling around like a lion that wants to attack us, that wants to devour us, that wants to kill us. And the way that he's going to do it is through your mind and your heart. If you begin to open up your, your mind to the things that are not of God, relationships, you start to kind of let the, the devil have a foothold in your life, he's going, to take, uh, he's going to take advantage of that and he's going to destroy you from the inside out. So we got to think differently. I had a youth pastor many years ago. Um, he said something, and, and he just said it kind of almost like as he was talking about something un, unrelated. But he, he said something that stuck with me. You know, sometimes a teacher or a professor will say something, or maybe in a friend, that, that just kind of sticks with you in your heart. And, and he said something to me that I just have, have held on to throughout the course of my life. And he says, when you take a lemon... And you cut it open, and you begin to squeeze the lemon out, you can't expect to squeeze a lemon and expect Dr. Pepper to flow out of it. And it was just one of those quirky things that he said, but it stuck with me. And what he went on to say is because when, you, when the pressures of life happen, and the pressures begin to squeeze on you, what's going to come out of you is what's in your heart and what's in your mind. And you can't expect the pressures of this world to, to squeeze on you and something different to come out that you haven't already sowed in your heart. And so this idea that, that when you cut a lemon in half, when you squeeze a lemon, what's going to come out? Lemon juice, right? It's not going to be something, uh, something else. It's something unrelated. And so when we put things into our hearts and things are into our minds, when, when those pressure moments come in life, that's what's going to come out. That is the condition of our heart. That's why the, the, the author of Proverbs 4.23 says, from it all things flow. 
Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. See, all throughout Scripture, we see the importance of meditating on God's word, knowing God's word. A lot of times, and I'll be honest with you, there's been seasons in my life where I've been guilty of this, where my Bible sits on my bookshelf uh, all week long. But when it comes Sunday, I'll grab it, or I'll grab my smartphone, and I'll start looking through different things because I'm heading to church. You guys, let me tell you, you got to fill your minds with God's word. you got to fill your minds with God's words, meditate on it day and night, because everything flows from the heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, step number three, be accountable. Another way that you guard your heart, the way that you protect your heart is that you be accountable. Notice I didn't say find an accountability partner. Notice I didn't say find accountability partners, because Time and time again, I've had people tell me, hey, you just need to find an accountability partner, and you need to just, just kind of have that group in which you can be honest. The reason I say is be accountable because it, it, it's the next step. You find an accountability partner, you can fake it. Okay, Accountability only happens when brutal honesty plays into the picture. Okay, So you've got to be a, accountable to the things that are attacking your heart, and you've got to be you gotta be. Uh, honest with him. We, we do this because we need others. All throughout scripture, we see this picture that God paints for us is that we need other people. You know, I had a friend tell me long ago, he says, the Christian walk was never meant to be walked alone. When I talk with student athletes all the time that are at their particular high schools and they're involved in sports, I tell them that the, what they need to do is they need to obviously begin a relationship with Jesus, right? But then they need to lock arms with other guys, or other females, other, other teammates to do life with. Because there are going to be times in our lives where we're going to fall flat on our face. And we're going to need a friend to reach out that arm and help us up. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us all about this. Pity the man who falls down but has no one there to help him up. And so time and time again, all throughout Scripture, we see the importance of having friends in our life that we can be vulnerable with. Every one of us need people in our lives in which we can be as honest and vulnerable as possible with, that are going to love you no matter what, that are, who are not impressed by who you are. Because I need people in my life to say, Steve, you're out of line, and I'm seeing some things in your heart, man. I'm starting to see some behaviors that are really stemming probably from a heart issue, and I love you too much to see you drive your life into a ditch. And I'm going to step in, and I'm going to kind of help point it out. You need friends like that. And listen to what it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The power of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, I love this passage, but it's hard. It's tough. This is the, this is the area that I think for me is the hardest, is being honest with people. Because we have this fake facade a lot of times that we want to try to keep up. You're right. Um, even with our closest friends, we want them to feel like we've got it all together, that we're not struggling with certain things. And, and one of the things I read this week that I loved, I think it was from um, uh, Rick Warren out in California. He said it this way, and I loved it. I said, there are two kinds of people in the world, okay, two types of people in the world. Number one, people who are broken and sinful and know it, okay? And then there are people who are broken and sinful and won't admit it. Okay, because I think the reality is every single one of us are broken and we need a savior. 
to come and mend our heart and to restore our hearts. But that happens through relationships with others. You ask God for forgiveness, but then you tell others about your struggles for healing. And so that's what happens, and that's how you develop a healthy heart and to protect our hearts. And then the last thing is this, is be ready. The last step is be ready. Why do I say be ready? Because the world is constantly attacking. The Bible tells us that in this world you will have trouble. But then Jesus goes on to say, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And that's the greatest news that any of us could ever hear this morning is that in this world, you will have trouble. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be attacks on our heart. There's going to be attacks on our mind, what we're filling our hearts with and our mind with. But he says, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. And the thing that I want to encourage you guys with is to be ready. Because when you begin to protect your heart, when you begin to guard your heart, there's going to be an enemy that doesn't like that. And you're going to be a target. So be ready for those attacks. And be ready for those attacks and be ready to know where you're going to run and hide. Because here's the thing. Everybody runs and hides different places. And the Lord is speaking to me through an alarm. <laughs> but what he's saying is, but but what I'm saying here is this is be ready for those attacks because there're going to be times in which you're going to be under attack, and you need to know before you're under attack where you're going to run when you are attacked, right? Because if you wait until you understand where you're going to run to, until you're being attacked, then the reality is a lot of times you're going to run back to the pain and the habits of an unhealthy heart. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a fortified or a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The righteous run to it and are safe. So when those attacks come on your heart and your mind, where do you run? Because every one of us run and hide places. We all have a hiding place. Some of us, those hiding places aren't healthy. Maybe it's a bottle. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's websites that we shouldn't be hitting. Maybe it's anger issues that have kind of bubbled up in our heart again. Maybe it's complacency. Maybe it's just being lukewarm, like Revelation mentioned earlier. But all of those things are unhealthy ways to deal with stuff. And if we wait until we're attacked to know where we're going to run, we'll run back to those things. That's just human nature. That's our human heart. But what happens is when God begins to do something different, when we give our lives to him, when we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness, he gives us a new heart. And he tells us that when we are under attack, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Let's pray. Psalm 139, the author David is pouring out his heart and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Maybe right now as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you need to pray a prayer similar to that, that David prayed. God, search my heart. 
point out areas in my heart that are unhealthy. Forgive me of those areas that I've not fully surrendered to you. Give me a deep hatred towards sin. Help me to be accountable. Help me to fill my mind with the right things. And help me to understand that I need to run to you when those attacks come. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the truth in your, in your word that you've given to me and that you've just sown in my heart over the last few weeks as I prepared. And God, I just know that, that, that with our hearts flows everything. It determines who we are. So God, I pray that you would help us to protect it, to guard it with everything that we are, to fight against the evil that wants to penetrate our hearts and our minds. But God, with you, we can do all things. Without you, we can do nothing. So God, I pray for each and every one of these folks in this room that you would give them a boldness and a courage to make changes today, to do a 180 from some of the things that they might be filling their hearts and minds with, that they would find a way to confess to you, just like in Psalm 51, where David pours his heart out to you, just a prayer of confession. Create in us a pure heart so that we can live our lives to honor you in everything we say and do. In your name I pray, amen.